All right, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Dots here on Monday, October 9th. It is just me, Chase Taylor, with you guys today. Um, ton to go through today from a uh, kind of what's going on with market standpoint. I'll start with the numbers, but then I'll, I'll dive into a few things. Hopefully, me flying solo today, I'll get it under 15 or about 15, but we'll see. It's a, it's a complicated market out there today. Um, stocks all finished up about half a percent. Uh, the volatility index was up a little over 2%, but well off the highs. All that, of course, probably being some uh, Middle East war premium. Uh, commodities up about 1%, but most of that was oil, which was up a little over 4%. Uh, bond yields, uh, the cash market was closed, but futures were open. But all the entire yield curve was up anywhere from 13 to 19 basis points. The five-year was up 19, or down, sorry, down 19 basis points. Um Importantly to me today, the two-year had a pretty well-defined uptrend line that was broken. So to me, it looks like the two-year has pierced um, the, the at least the recent trend line. And, and to me, that suggests two years going a lot lower. And, and after I get through these numbers, I'll explain why I definitely think that's the case. Um, gold was up about 1.7%, mostly because, well, yields fell a lot and Gold got some um, a little bit of safe haven bid, I would assume, from um, what's going on in Israel right now. Uh, we like to cover uranium pretty often here. It was down about 2.5%, um, down about 3 on the week, and still still up about 10% on the month. So kind of the, the pullback there continues. The dollar was flat. It's down almost 1% uh, kind of week over week now. And with yields plummeting and it looking like no more hikes, it's going to get tough for the dollar to kind of maintain the recent momentum it's had. So that's going to be very interesting to watch in the next couple of weeks, how the dollar kind of reacts to the to what's going on. And I think a lot of that will depend on what central banks around the world do. Uh, my assumption is even the ones that wanted to keep hiking will see the Fed pausing and say, well, us too, um, which would that would allow the dollar to kind of keep moving higher. But I mean, if if someone is willing to keep hiking, then maybe their currency can actually pick up against the dollar. So, like I say, that's going to get interesting. From a sector perspective, it was pretty much energy on top by by a wide margin, and then um, anything that sort of uh, is attached to yields. If yields are down, it it helped it. So, things like real estate, utilities did did well in the day thanks to that. Other than that, I, I didn't really find too much signal in the in the sector. Uh, noise today. So the most important thing I wanted to touch on today, um, well, two things really. What, what's going on um, with with the the war in Israel? Uh, one and two, the Fed. So I'm of the opinion that the Fed, between the weekend and today, made it pretty clear that they're done. Like that, this isn't officially to me a pause at this point. We have um, a meeting here in about three weeks, where at one point we were pretty close to 50-50 on whether or not they would hike. We're now down uh, near 10% chances that they hike. So basically, we've priced out any chance of them doing a move in November. And there's very low probability also of them doing a move in December. Um, the labor market data on Friday, to me, was pretty weak. I think everyone saw the headline number being big and a beat and just figured, well, that was a very strong payroll report. But if you look under the hood, as, as we like to do around here, um, the 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 wage data to me is by far the most important aspect of that right now for the Fed, and that came in weak, as did the unemployment uh, rate. 
which I think the last unemployment rate when it spiked from 3.5 to 3.8, the Fed kind of saw that as statistical noise and not like a real move. It was supposed to go back down and it stayed at 3.8 despite adding over 300,000 jobs. So to me, I, I think the Fed probably saw that and was like, well, wait a second, maybe maybe this wasn't just noise and that unemployment rate is going gonna, is gonna to start moving higher. Um, and in addition to that, if you look at the last three months, full-time jobs have gone down 692,000 while part-time jobs have gone up 1.15 million. So really what you've seen over the last quarter is a a massive reallocation from full-time to part-time employment. So sure, like you had a bunch of leisure and hospitality jobs get added, but well, there's a bunch of part-time leisure and hospitality jobs that don't pay well. Um, From a macro perspective, from an economy-wide perspective, from a, a monetary policy perspective, like that number doesn't mean anything. And i and I did not expect the Fed to like actually see the signal in that to say, well, mm, this is actually pretty weak and, and this gives us, you know, some some ability to step away and, and pause or, um, you know, at least stop hiking for, you know, a three, four month window there. Um, but I think they're actually taking that opportunity on Friday after the number. Um, we had a speech from from Mester, who is a, a mega hawk, and she was very dovish. Um, that was a big signal to me. And I was like, well, we'll see what happens Monday after have, they have the weekend to kind of think about everything and figure this out and kind of develop some communication strategy. Um, and cause I figured, Hey, if they saw this data as hot and they wanted to get the, the hikes up to like 50, 50, they would come out, you know, guns blazing with the speeches this week, real hawkish. But what we got today was Lori Logan coming out very dovish and she's a hawk again. And then we had Jefferson, who's the vice chair come out dovish. So, Whenever you have two two hawks come out dovish and you, you have the vice chair come out dovish, you kind of know you should be able to read those tea leaves rather easily. So, to me, what the Fed's saying is like, "Hey, we're done. We're and they're they're, they're at least at least absolutely not doing anything um, at the November meeting." But I I think the hurdle for them to to move again is is just just massive now. Um, core inflation we'll find out later this week still coming down. Um, wages clearly cooling off. Um, you know, at a, at a, just a fine pace. So really no reason for the Fed to keep moving here. And, and I, I think they have made that clear today. And I, th- I think that's why bond yields did what they did today. I think bond yields fell significantly, mostly because the Fed just said pause today. Um, I think uh, most people are going to look at the market today and be like, oh, well, there's war in Israel. Uh, bonds are safe haven asset. Everyone just bought treasuries because they're scared of what might happen in the Middle East. I, and because that happened at the same day that the Fed said, hey, we're pausing, I think a lot of people are going to get going to get crossed up on that. Now, it could be dead wrong. It could be the opposite. But that is definitely my take and and, and one that I, I actually feel pretty strong about. So I think the Fed has paused um, despite what I assume is everyone going to just go straight to whatever happened in Israel today is why everyone bought bonds. I don't think that's the case. But that also doesn't mean that I like long bonds that much at, at this point. Now, short end, love them. Um, here, here at Bulwark, we we have been pretty big fans of the two year. Um, so the fact that it broke out today, at least to us, meant meant something. Um, so I do want to talk about the war just a little bit, not from any political angle whatsoever. That's not how I operate at all. Um, but it's obviously a huge deal for markets and and for geopolitics in general. So I wanted to spend just a little bit of time on it. Um, unless you have lived under rocks on Saturday, you you probably know that something happened. Um, Hamas from the Gaza Strip launched very complex attacks sort of all over the country, at least with, you know, shooting rockets. They, they went 
up to Tel Aviv, over to Jerusalem, and basically every surrounding town near Gaza. Um, and then they moved out on, on the ground, on foot, took a lot of prisoners, killed at least 900 Israelis, mostly civilians, took a lot of hostages, in which they took back to Gaza. Um, not only that, but I mean, it's a very cosmopolitan country. So there's people from all over the Western world, at least nine Americans dead. Um, we assume there's going to be people from Western Europe and the U.S. that are also hostages. So you're going to get into this scenario where special forces from multiple countries are, might be looking hard at getting their people out, um, which will complicate things on the ground a lot. Um, U.S. support for Israel is already already flowing in. Israel's already mobilized 300,000 reservists very, very quickly, which is impressive. Um, as far as the kind of spillovers, obviously oil went up today and it, I mean, it had to go up some uh, based on what just happened. But, and when it comes to geopolitical events, my, my framework typically is to fade first order effects and buy second or third order effects. So to me, when I, what that means is I don't really want to buy oil on this. I don't really want to buy, you know, gold on this. I don't, I don't want to buy any any of this stuff. Or may, maybe maybe you could argue that defense stocks make sense, um, but kind of those knee jerk things that everyone wants to do is usually not a good idea in my in my opinion. It, and sometimes it's even a good idea to bet against those kind of first order effects. But then on on some of the third order effects, I look at something like Israeli stocks. Um, the currency is getting hit. That's going to bring in inflation. The government. I mean, obviously, government spending is going to have to go up. Uh, they just essentially unified a very divided government, at least for, you know, I would call it the medium term. So all of a sudden you have a newfound uh, unified government that has been very problematic for them of late. And you're going to have high inflation, high government spending. Those are those tend to be good things for, for equity markets. You know, their stocks were down, I don't know, what, like 7 8%, something like that today. And they'll probably do it even more. Um, soon, but I think you, whenever this kind of shakes out in the future, people will look and say, well, that's, that's actually what we should have bought, not oil, because this just tends to be the way these things work. Now, obviously there is some oil risk, but all of that, at least to me at the moment is concentrated, um, in Iran and it came out with the wall street journal article. Hey, like Iran not only knew about this, but they, they were a huge part of it. They were behind it. Um, but then both the U S and maybe somewhat surprisingly, Israeli officials came out and said, well, we don't have any proof of that. Um, we're not even sure if we believe that. So I think everyone understands that they support this. They love this. They're happy about it, but that doesn't mean they were operationally involved. Um, and certainly not, you know, calling shots on this operationally. I think one of the things that's confusing for people is the fact that this was able to happen as such a, uh, a large scale complex attack. And it was, it was, and it had this, the, you know, element of surprise that it did have. That's, it's very difficult to pull off. Um, so maybe if you're able to keep it under wraps that well, you were also able to keep it under wraps that it, Iran was heavily involved, but they've denied it and said, you know, Hey, we like it, but it wasn't us. Um, I think everyone knows that they are strategic partners with with Hamas and Hezbollah like they support them and they're they're kind of like broader mission but not necessarily operationally so but that's very important because if they weren't operationally involved or no one can kind of find that evidence then that means nothing may happen to their um, oil production oil exports which would be what would spike oil um, if they if we if we like completely ramped up 
and brought back all the sanctions and actually enforced them all, um, that would tighten up the oil market a lot. That would require Saudi Arabia to get back in there, but they probably wouldn't do it until oil, oil was over 100. So there is still that possibility, but until someone can say, hey, like, no, you know, Iran, did, Iran was a big part of this, so let's let's go get them. It's just not going to happen. I mean, any, even then, I, w- I would argue the U.S. is probably going to become even that much tighter with Venezuela moving forward and bringing them back in the fold um, to make sure that they're they're able to ramp up their production in a in a significant way to try and offset as much of the Iranian oil that was coming off the market. I mean, you, you look at OPEC Plus and they have roughly three, four, something like that million barrels of of production that they theoretically at least can bring online in the next year. So if, if Iran really is going to fall, fall off on their production, I, I would assume it would create a spike to 100, 120, maybe 125, but it would pretty rapidly kind of be um, put out by the rest of OPEC, um, OPEC plus, and on, on top of that, uh, some new new production out of Latin America, especially. So I think people, at least personally, short term, are overreacting with the oil side. Um, but you have to watch the situation with, with Iran very closely. Um, just, just a brutal, brutal early stage of a, of a conflict, a lot of civilian deaths, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of tragedy. It's very, very sickening to watch, um, just as an, as an, as an observer. Uh, so it's going to be even more difficult to watch as we move, as we move forward, I'm sure. Hopefully somehow this thing is, is able to conclude with, some sort of reasonable piece soon. A um, couple other things I wanted to touch on real quick, and then and then I'll just be wrapping it up. Um, half of mortgages, or excuse me, 0.5% of mortgages, 0.5% of mortgages are in the money for refinancing. Um, that, that's important to me because I think, you know, we all view the fact that everyone locked in their mortgage at 3% as like really stimulative right now. And obviously it is. It's been very stimulative for the economy, you know, since the Fed started raising rates. It didn't really touch a lot of consumption because of that. But on the flip side of that is when the Fed is cutting rates at some point, uh, call it next year, um, next two years for, for to you know, for recessionary problems or whatever. When they do those cuts, it's not going to put that many of those mortgages back in the money for refinancing. Um, because so few of those mortgages are up above, you know, four or five percent. Um, just that—that that was something that popped in my head today when I saw the the number is less than one percent of mortgages being in the money for refinancing. Um, I think that's all I had today. So kind of a crazy day. Uh, markets were all over the place, up and down. Bonds rallied significantly right after everyone decided that it was time to pile on bonds. It feels like from a sentiment perspective. Um, I'm of the opinion the Fed paused today. Um, I think they made that really clear. That obviously has pretty significant implications and may well um, underpin uh, a rally in in stocks and bonds both until you kind of get a clear signal that the macro data is so bad that it's, oh, wait, this is actually a recession. Until then, stocks might well rally. Um, but But once you price out these hikes completely for November, December, that's when you get to the point where bad news can become bad news because you've already priced the hikes out. So that's something to keep an eye on unless pricing and cuts is, is enough to make people happy at that point. But you at least tip the scales a little bit more towards bad news becoming bad news whenever the data does start to meaningfully deteriorate. Um, and then on the war front, the, I think the biggest thing from an investment perspective, um, which is what all I'm trying to cover here, is to keep an eye on um, what all the news flow that the 
with with Iran. Um, if anything gets bad there, then yeah, okay, all bets are off. Oil can 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 at least in the next two three months like have have a bit of a of a spike. But other than that, other than something happening happening to um, the Strait of Hormuz or um, something like that, I I I think you fade that move or ignore it. You think of you think of things that are more a little bit down the road. Uh, like I, like I talked about, something like buying buying Israeli stocks to me it makes more sense. But that's all I have for today. Um, you guys can download and describe and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. and we'll be back tomorrow with some more. Uh, there was really no data today. There's not much data tomorrow. We have NFIB small business survey tomorrow and a little bit of other stuff, and that's it. But then we'll get um, PPI on Wednesday and then um, CPI on Thursday. So Wednesday, Thursday, big inflation uh, data days. So that'll be fun to watch. But that's all we have for today. Cheers. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.